Last week, I gave a talk with the same name of this episode. This is a topic that I did cover about a year ago in Season 7, uh, Episode 10. But since then, I added a few things, I thought more about it, and it's worth addressing the issue again. An EFMD study found that leadership was the number one topic pursued by more than 90% of corporate buyers of education. Training Industry Inc. believes that the leadership development industry is over $366 billion globally. SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, found that 84% of companies rated leadership development as important or very important. The talk that I gave last week was to the Business Leadership Center at SMU, which was kind of awkward because the title of my talk was The Cost of Our Obsession with Leadership, not necessarily what an audience of the Business Leadership Center might want to hear. But they did, and I could see that they related to this topic. We are obsessed with the word leadership. I once told someone that I don't consider myself a leader, and she replied, if you can lead yourself, then you are a leader. I'm sorry, but that's total BS, which, by the way, was the topic of a previous podcast episode. And it comes from a place where we don't believe we have any value if we are not leaders. Well, we do. And this obsession has cost. And in this episode, I will talk about the cost but also what I think we should do about them, right after this. Welcome to The Trust Show. I'm Yoram Solomon, your host, the author of the Book of Trust and facilitator of the Trust Habits Workshop. My mission is simple. I want to help you form habits that build your trustworthiness because the answer to this question will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? If you heard any of my previous episodes, or if you know me, heard me speak, you know that I'm going to have to start with a story. Back in 2002, Texas Instruments uh, made me an offer to join them. It was for the group working on Wi-Fi in the early days of Wi-Fi. And uh, we lived in California, in Silicon Valley. The group was located uh, in uh, the majority of that group in Santa Rosa, North California. And my wife asked if we we're going to have to move to Texas. I said, no, why would we move to Texas? And she said, um, what if they wanted you to be the general manager of a business unit, uh, but the business unit is in Texas, so we are going to have to move. So I told her, barely anybody knows me in Dallas. Why would they ask me to move? Sure enough, one year, five months later, they asked me to run to be the general manager of a business unit in Texas, in Dallas. Uh, 89 people uh, ended up with about $100 million in revenue. But we're, we had to move. So in 2003, as my wife predicted, we did move to Dallas, to Plano, actually, which is very close. Well, I started running the business unit, and uh, I had four people directly reporting to me, and um, the business unit did well. That first year that uh, as I was the general manager, the business unit did well. But it didn't do well because of me. It did well in spite of me, despite me. <laughs> Uh, I don't think that I was a good leader. I actually, I'm pretty sure that I wasn't. Um, and uh, I think it wasn't fair for the other four and the 89 uh, total in, in the business unit. But um, at some point, the business unit did well because of them, because they were good, because we had good products and we had good economy and good clients. And, uh, you know, certain things happened that made the business unit grow. It wasn't me. I, I can promise you it wasn't me. And then uh, in year two, I asked my boss if I could go to uh, an, an executive training program that Harvard had. Uh, I did one with Stanford years before. I wanted to go to the one with Harvard, but she suggested that I go to an, a, a workshop, a, kind of a one-week training program for the center by the Center of Creative Leadership in Colorado Springs. So you know what? Yeah, I could use some leadership training. 
Uh, it was called Developing the Strategic Leader or something like that or Developing the Creative. No, Developing the Strategic Leader. So I went there for a week. There were a lot of 360 assessments, self-assessments, a whole bunch of them. I mean, it took more than a month to do all the assessments ahead of the event. We went to the event and uh, went through this one week. And at the end of the week, uh, Friday morning, I sat down with a uh, psychologist, an industrial psychologist, that already looked through everything and uh, looked through my my survey, my assessments, um, and my resume, my background, and, and so on. And we talked, and she suggested that we frame the conversation around the question. And the question that came to her mind was, am I a startup person or a large company person? See, I, I started startup companies. I, I did startup companies for, I think, the, the majority of my professional life. But at that time, I was working for Texas Instruments, a company that with 35,000 employees was anything but a startup. But I told her that there is another question that bothers me more. And I'm really, 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 really glad that I brought up that question. And she asked, well, what is it? And I told her that the question that bothers me more is, am I a leader or an individual contributor? And she said, you know, that's a great question. Uh, let's, let's address that question. And, and so we started, uh, we started talking. We talked for about a, two hours, um, reflecting on, on a lot of the things I learned, my background, and so on. And, and after two hours, we were done. Everybody was done with their own psychologist. Um, we had graduation. We flew back uh, to wherever we all came from. People came from all over the world. I flew back to Dallas. That was Friday. Monday morning, I stepped into my boss's office and I said, I don't want to run the business unit anymore. I'm an individual contributor. I'm not a leader. And like any other good boss, uh, her immediate reaction was no. So we talked about that a little more uh, for, for about a week. And, and after a week, I, I convinced her. Her biggest concern was obviously who's going to take over the business. But I told her that two of my direct reports, two of the four, uh, we're ready or close to ready, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to stay with the business. I wanted to be the strategist for the three business units that were under her. I, I only had one of them. Uh, and she eventually agreed. And this is, by the way, how USB 3 started, with me taking over the role of a uh, a, a the head of strategy or, or the strategic development person um, for the three business units. So... It was a hard thing to do for me to go to her and say, I don't want to run the business unit anymore. Because, you know, with this obsession we have on leadership, you're you're thinking at the end of this path, at least within Texas Instruments, I'm going to be the CEO or I could be the CEO. One of the people who kept who keeps getting promoted, keep getting promoted, will end up being the CEO. And when you say, I don't want to be the leader, I don't want to run the business unit, uh, then you're essentially saying, I don't ever want to be the CEO. We need to make a distinction before I continue between two words, and that's leadership and management. Those words are not the same. The main difference is how can you affect other people's actions? How can you direct other people's actions where a leader affects it with influence so it's really more intrinsic. A leader can develop intrinsic motivation in their followers to do something, to take a certain action, whereas a manager will affect it with authority. So this is extrinsic. You're going to do that because I said so. You're going to do that because that's how you're going to get promoted. You're going to do that because uh, otherwise, uh, you know, there are going to be disciplinary actions or whatever. So that's that's essentially the difference between leader and manager. Leader with influence, manager with authority. Uh, just look up dictionary definitions. That, that's what, what it uh, comes down to. However, now that I gave you that distinction, throw it to the trash because we use those two words interchangeably. I mean, what does it mean being on the leadership team? Does it mean you're part of those group that a group that has influence over other people without authority? Or does it really mean a certain job grade and authority with with a pay bump and and so on? I'll talk more about that later. So I want to make sure 
we talk about leadership as if uh, we're, we're talking about leading people with influence. Or, I mean, we want to talk about leadership as if we're leading with influence, but really we use the word leadership in the context of management, of having authority, of being higher up in the organization. That's how we talk about leadership. And so for the rest of this episode, I'm not going to make the distinction between these two words because nobody really does. But here's the thing. We're so obsessed that that everybody has to be a leader. Does everybody have to be a leader? Must everybody be a leader? Let, let me ask you about the following professions. A pilot. Okay, now you're going to tell me, well, if you're the captain, then you're the leader and, and the co-pilot is your follower. How about a pilot in a single pilot plane? You know, a bush pilot. Do they have to be a leader? Do they have to lead people? No. They have to lead a plane, and I'm sorry, I'm not going to stretch the word leadership to I can influence the airplane, because the, my control over the airplane is very authoritative and very physical. How about a software programmer? You're going to say, well, there's a software programmer lead. I'm not talking about the software programming lead. I'm talking about a software programmer that writes software. Who do you lead? A computer? You don't lead people. How about a surgeon? And forget, you know, the nurse and, and so on. Uh, a surgeon is not a leader. A surgeon is an individual contributor. And you really care about not their leadership skills. You care about their ability to perform surgery. How about a military sniper? Yeah, I know. You're going to go with uh, the uh, platoon commander and the team leader and so on. No, I'm talking about the sniper. Has one job. Take headshots or body shots or whatever shots that, that they need to take. That's it. It not lead people. So not all jobs have to be leaders. Not everybody has to be leaders. These are all individual contributors. Now, are you going to tell me that these are not important jobs? Do they have less value from being a leader? They don't. So can some people not be leaders and still have value? Yes. By the way, what would happen if everybody was a leader? So I want you to imagine this. You know, we typically associate a leader with a type A personality or whatever personality we're, we're going to say that, that people who manage other people or lead other people must have. So imagine you have a team of five people, but, you know, since we're obsessed with leadership and everybody must be a leader, they're all leaders. Who would do the work if they're all leaders, if, if all they're good at is telling others what to do? Doesn't matter with influence or authority, but what they do, what they're good at is telling others what to do. There's nobody to do the work. And by the way, a leader, in order for a leader to be a leader, there must be followers that would follow that leader. So just imagine the clashes between five people that all believe that they're the leaders of the same group and nobody thinks uh, they're a follower. Not everybody has to be a leader. But here is a more fundamental question. Why do you want to be a leader? Well, I'm going to give you some of the reasons. I'm sure that you can think of them yourself, but, but I'm going to be blunt and say them out loud. Number one, money. Well, you know, not necessarily number one priority, but just number one, money. Paywatch did a survey. What they found was that in 1980, the ratio between the CEO salary and the salary of a normal employee was 42 times, 42 to 1. A CEO would make 42 times more than the normal employee. Let that sink in. For you, for the normal employee to make $100,000 in, uh, in salary, the CEO would make $4.2 million. You know what? For an employee that makes 50000 the CEO would make $2.1 So the normal employee would struggle with mortgage, would struggle with a lot of things, with, with car that breaks down in, on a $50,000 salary, the CEO would make $2.1 million. You're good with those numbers? Because I'll tell you what, that was 1980. In 2010, that ratio was, get this, 343 to 1. 
For an employee that makes $50,000, the CEO would make over $17 million. That's extrinsic motivation. But that's one of the reasons why we want to be leaders. Because leader is associated with a hierarchical stage level in the organization. That's associated with money. That's how it works. The job grade and, and the salary range for every job grade. You want to go up because you're going to get more money. Number two, power and control. You get power. You get to control people. Some people, they, they get drunk over having power and having control, being able to control information, to tell people what to do. Some people are actually even willing to give up salary or especially commissions if, if you're like the head of a sales group and you're not getting as much commission as the uh, salespeople themselves. Often you will, but even if you don't, just because they're drunk on getting power and control over people. I mean, you tell me, how many people would want to be leaders or managers if there was no more pay, no power, just more responsibility? Nobody. Number three, people want to be leaders or managers because they don't want to be managed or more specifically micromanaged. You don't like to be micromanaged by your boss. So you go, I want to be, I want to be the boss. <laughs> Hopefully because you don't want to be micromanaged and not because you want to micromanage others. And I'll get back to that. Number four. Because our culture is obsessed. Because the word leadership is associated with aspiration, with where you want to be. Because, you know, that answer, when I said to someone, I don't want to be, I'm not a leader. And she said, if you can lead yourself, you're a leader. We're obsessed with this word. So we must have the word in our resume. We must have it in our title, on our business card. Our culture is obsessed with the word leadership. But let me ask you this. Are those good enough reasons to be leaders or managers? So let's start talking about the costs, the cost of this obsession. When you promote leadership or this obsession with leadership, you may lose your best individual contributor talent. You lose your best individual contributors because they want to be leaders, because they get promoted. So I want to break a myth here, and this is one of the most important points that I want you to get from this episode. Leadership is a profession. It's not a promotion. We look at it as a promotion, but it really, really is not. Leadership is a profession. You need to know it. You need to have experience. You need to want to do it. You need to be good at it and not deserve it. We have to make this distinction. Leadership is something that you should earn, not something that you deserve. Definitely not because of time on the job. A leader cannot and should not be the best individual contributor. Being a great individual contributor should not be the reason why you're going to be a leader. Being a good leader, having the skills, having the, the abilities, the, the talent that's required to be a leader should be the reason why you would be a leader. Not because you're the best salesperson. Not because you're the best programmer. And one thing that I really need you to understand is that leadership is not a part-time job. I tried it. I tried being a part-time leader and part-time individual contributor. It doesn't work. You don't do either of them well. You don't lead your people well, and you don't do your individual contributor well, or your job, your, your technical job, professional job well. Every one of them gets sacrificed in favor of the other. You have to choose. It's not a part-time job. So you need to understand that if you're the best salesperson, or the best programmer, or whatever, you will have to drop it in favor of leadership. Now, maybe that's fine, and, and that, that's great if that's what you want to do, but you have to understand that you can do both. And you must want to be, want to do it full-time. 
And keep in mind that if you are the best salesperson, if you enjoyed being the salesperson and you want to be the leader of the sales team, you are not a salesperson anymore. You cannot be a salesperson anymore. You cannot look over your salespeople or sales team's shoulders. You cannot override them. You cannot bypass them because you're, you're better. If you're the best programmer and now you want to be a leader, you need to focus on leading other programmers and not do programming yourself. And as a result, if you are the best salesperson, if you are the best programmer or the best something, any other individual contributor, the company is going to lose that. Now, we may be gaining a great leader, which is great. The company may be gaining a great leader, which is great, but they're going to lose that top individual contributor. And that's a compromise that has to be done consciously. Here is another cost that's probably even worse, and that is that you may gain bad leadership. So you may lose a great individual contributor, but you may gain a bad leader. And if you have a bad leader or manager, I told you I'm going to use that interchangeably, you may lose good employees or lose their creativity and productivity. There is something called the Peter Principle. I don't know if you ever heard of the Peter Principle. Peter Principle is actually a book written, I think, in 1967 or 69, in the 60s, by a Lawrence Peter who uh, served, uh, who was an officer in the U.S. Army. But people refer to the Peter Principle as a person will get promoted to their level of incompetence. A person will get promoted to their level of incompetence. How does that work? If you're good at what you do, you're going to get promoted. If you're still good at what you do at the after the promotion, you're going to get promoted. If you still are good, you're going to get promoted. When will you stop getting promoted? when you're not good at what you do. So now you're stuck in a position, in a leadership position, in a hierarchical level that you're not good at, and that's where you're going to get stuck. That's where we're going to place you. Why? Because there is a stigma, a terrible stigma, with let's go one step back. But why are some people bad leaders? Number one reason for me is because they did it. They, they went to become leaders. They asked to be leaders. They were appointed leaders for the wrong reasons. Money, power, social status, resume. Another reason is they don't really want to do it. They didn't really want to be leaders. But they did it anyway for the wrong reasons or because somebody else forced them. The third reason is they don't know how to be a good leader. You know, I'm sorry, if you're the best programmer, your best salesperson, that doesn't give you any competence as a leader. That doesn't translate. It's a different profession. That's what I'm going to say over and over again. Leadership is a profession. It's not a promotion. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you another story um, regarding competence. Um, once, uh, well, every year, in TI and, and pretty much every other company, uh, you, you're going to be doing your self-assessment, which I think self-assessment is important, but I think that in 99% of the cases, it's not taken seriously. It's, uh, you know, it's just a checkbox item. We, we have to do it. HR told us we have to do it. Uh, the laws told us, whatever. You don't do it for the right reasons. Well, so I did that, and uh, I was asked, the first question I was asked was, uh, what are your strengths? And under strengths, I said, innovation, strategy, industry relations. I, I represented TI in, in multiple trade organizations. So what are my strengths? Innovation, strategy, and industry relations. If the first question was, what are your strengths? Then the next question was, what are your, what? No, 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 not not weaknesses. We don't use the word weakness. The word weakness is depressing. It's it's politically incorrect. We use the words areas for improvement. What are your areas for improvement? So you know what I wrote? My areas for improvement are innovation, strategy, and industry relations. So I get called to the uh, human resources office. 
You didn't feel your self-assessment right. How can I not feel my self-assessment right if it's a self-assessment? That's how I assess myself. And I said, how, how did I do that? And they said, well, you wrote the same things for uh, strengths and for areas of improvement. And I said, what's the problem with that? And they said, well, if innovation strategy and industry relations are your strengths, how can they also be your areas for improvement? And I said, so what, what do you mean by areas for improvement? And they said, the areas you're not very strong yet. And I asked, so you mean weaknesses? And they said, well, yeah, you, they kind of squirm. Uh, yeah, we don't like to use this word. And I said, well, here's the thing. If you ask me for my weaknesses, I'll tell you what my weaknesses are. Because I have weaknesses. Every person has weaknesses. I know what my weaknesses are. I hope I know what my weaknesses are. But um, you didn't ask for weaknesses. You asked for areas of improvement. So let me tell you one thing. I would rather take my strengths and work on them and put passion and time and energy into them to turn them into greatness rather than take my weaknesses and turn them into mediocrity. Because I can tell you that if they're my weaknesses, those are not areas that I'm interested in. And I'm not going to spend the time, energy, and passion to grow them. And if I do, they're not going to grow to anything beyond mediocrity. So what's the point? Here comes the question. Is leadership a strength of mine? Is it a strength? And that is a question that has to be asked, and it's not asked, and that's one of the reasons why some people become bad leaders. Because leadership is not a strength of theirs. Then the next part is personality incompatibility. You may be a bad leader for a specific group. You know, when I took over that business unit NTI, uh, one of the things that I did was I took my four direct reports uh, and I asked for... Um, I asked for uh, a facilitator to do Myers-Briggs assessment on all of us. So she did Myers-Briggs assessment, and then we had the kind of an off-site session. And in that off-site session, we looked at what the results are. And the results, they were, the four of them were ISTJ, ISFJ, ISTP, ISFP. And one thing that the facilitator said, because she's she's actually, she was at the time an, an TI employee, she worked with a lot of people, she did a lot of Myers-Briggs at TI, and she said, ISFP is pretty much the, um, the standard, the average Myers-Briggs assessment result for, or type for in TI. Now, if you put it in a chart, you will see that ISTJ, ISFJ, ISTP, and ISFP are all in the top left corner. Those are the four boxes in the top left corner. So the, the, the entire matrix is like a four by four. So think about the two by two on the top left. What was mine? Mine, mine was ENTJ. Bottom right corner, totally different from them. There was a personality incompatibility between who I am and who they were. That doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make me a bad person, but it makes us personally incompatible. But here's another big one. Why do, we, why do some people become bad leaders? And it's because they have low trustfulness. So... Let me explain this. I'm, I'm going to go back to my PhD research uh, in the book, uh, Culture Starts With You, Not Your Boss. And what I found in that research was that there is a 47.4% correlation, pretty much 50% correlation between autonomy that the leader gives their employees and their creativity or productivity of the employees. So the more autonomy, the more creativity and productivity you're going to get. 50% correlation beyond any reasonable statistical uh, significance. There was another interesting study done in 2014, actually after my PhD research, by the Liverpool Hope University School of Business. What they asked was, do employees think that work autonomy is important to them? And what they found was that 78% of the employees said that work autonomy was important to them. 22% didn't say that, that it was important. Now, it's not that they said we do not want autonomy. They just said it wasn't important. So overall, autonomy, I would say, is, is important. Definitely when 78% said that it was important. In 2018, I did another study. And what I found was that from a leader's perspective, 
there is a 67% correlation of whether I trust you, my employee, and my willingness to give you autonomy. Again, with strong statistical significance. But here's another interesting thing. Still in, actually, this was in 2017, in one of my surveys, what I found was that the most important quality, I asked the question, what is the most important quality for you in other people? I asked about six types of people. I asked about your boss, your employees, your peers, a salesperson trying to sell you something, your government representative, and your spouse. Six types of people. What is the most important quality for you in them? Gave a range of qualities. And number one was 60, with 61.2% was their trustworthiness. Okay, so the most important quality that I have in employees is 61.2%. In fact, in five out of the six relationships, trustworthiness was the most important one. And the highest, by the way, was for salespeople, which is why I started. It was 77.4%, which is why I started the whole trust premium uh, research and, and services. But that's topic for a different episode. Five out of six. In one relationship, trustworthiness was not the most important quality. When I asked leaders... What is the most important quality for you in another person? Number one, with 47.5%, was the willingness to work hard. That was number one. Number two, with 39%, 8.5% less, was trustworthiness. So when I ask the leader, what's the most important quality for you in your employees? They say, I want them to work hard. Not that, not that I can trust them. And by the way, if I don't care about my ability to trust them, guess if I intend to trust them. This reminds me of something that Henry Ford said once. He said, why is it that every time I ask for a pair of hands, they come with a brain attached? Now, you're thinking this is old. This is long. Henry Ford. No. 2022, Elon Musk took over Twitter. And here is a headline from an article. Elon Musk demands Twitter staff commit to long hours or leave. And this is an email that he sent to, to his employees. And that email was, was published. Leaders care about their employees working hard more than their trustworthiness. This is what makes them, which means that they're not willing to trust them. I mean, if I don't care whether I can trust you or not, that's an indication I don't intend to trust you. And if I don't intend to trust you, then I'm not going to give you autonomy. If I'm not going to give you autonomy, you're not going to be creative. You're not going to be productive. You're not going to enjoy your job. You're going to leave. But I want to take it a step further and talk about trust law number eight, and that's the trust is a two-sided uh, thing. It's, it's a two-person game. The level of trust that a leader has in their employees is the product of the leader's trustfulness and the employee's trustworthiness. It's not only the employee's trustworthiness. It's not enough for the employee to be trustworthy. The leader has to have trustfulness, willingness to trust people in general, employees in a little more particular. Why don't they trust their employees? Well, first of all, we are the sum of our experiences. We went through certain things. I went through certain things in life that really prevent me from trusting people. There are very, very few people that I really, really trust. Now, one of the reasons why, and I'm going to kind of circle back to something I said before, one of the reasons why a leader might not trust their employees, maybe the leader is the best individual contributor. You know, the best salesperson. If you're the best salesperson and you have a team of salespeople, well, by definition, they're not as good as you are because guess what? You were the best salesperson. It's hard for you to trust somebody who's not as good as you are. And that you know how to do their job better because you're going to fall into that, that mode of I'm going to do their job for them, which is micromanagement and low trustfulness. So one of the reasons that we don't trust is because we're the sum of our experiences and bad experiences cause us to trust people less or not to trust people or to distrust people more. But another reason is because you're the best individual contributor, you are leading a group of individual contributors in the same discipline that you are better than them and you will fall back into, I'll do your job for you. So you don't trust them. 
The way the cycle works is I had bad experiences in my life. Because of that, I have low trustfulness. Since the trust that I have in my employees is the product of my trustfulness and their trustworthiness, doesn't even matter how much how trustworthy they are, but my low trustfulness means that I'm going to give them less trust or I'm going to trust them less. If I trust them less, I micromanage them more. I give them less autonomy. As a result, there's lower employee satisfaction, lower creativity, lower productivity, and maybe to the point that, especially because they're not satisfied with their jobs anymore, maybe they're going to leave. And guess what? Their low performance, which really is the result of my micromanagement, their low performance now justifies to me why I have low trust in them. It's a cycle. Bad leaders are in that cycle. Now, so one of the reasons some people are bad leaders is because they have low trustfulness. But I want to make it very, very clear. I want to make two things very, very clear. People with low trustfulness are not damaged people. And I'm not saying that because I have low trustfulness and I don't consider myself damaged. Not because of that anyway. It's because low trustfulness is, is the, the sum of our experiences. It's, it's something that happened to us in our lives. And it's very easy to say, but you should still trust people. It's hard because you got betrayed too many times. One too many times. People with low trustfulness are not damaged people. That's one. The second one is that people with low trustfulness, even though they're not damaged, should not be leaders. Because if they have low trustfulness, that means that even if they have trustworthy employees... They're not going to trust them, not going to give them autonomy. They're micromanaged. They're going to micromanage them with all the results, the negative results. Which goes back to the, uh, to the cost, the, the other cost of our obsession with leadership. People who should not be leaders become leaders. And because of that, you lose the creativity and productivity of good employees. And maybe you just lose those employees, period. But there is another paradox that I want to uh, talk about. So to, to get you into that, I want to ask you, what would you think of a leader who says, this is the direct quote, that's just, you know, an employee does something and the leader says, that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Is this a good leader or a bad leader? I know what you're saying. That's a bad leader, right? No good leader would ever say to an employee, that's just the stupidest thing I've ever heard, right? Four leaders were quoted to use this sentence or something very close to it. Elon Musk, CEO of Tesla, market value $650 billion. SpaceX, market value $150 billion. PayPal, market value of $55 billion. Between those three companies, almost $1 trillion. Is he a bad leader? Jeff Bezos said the same thing. CEO of Amazon, valued at $1.3 trillion. Bill Gates said the same thing. CEO of Microsoft, valued at $2.45 trillion. The last person to say this was Steve Jobs. Well, not in order, not in chronological order, but Steve Jobs, CEO of Apple. $2.63 trillion market valuation of Apple. I mean, we're talking, we're talking GDPs of large countries is the value of those companies. So those leaders, those CEOs were often saying to their employees, Things like, this is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Can you look me in the eyes and say these are bad leaders when you know the companies that they built? So we have a pretty much, we have a paradox on our hand. I mean, we just talked about what a good leader should be and shouldn't be and, and 
hopefully by now I got you to the point where we're saying something like this should not be said by a good leader. But then I gave you names of four leaders. By the way, uh, it comes from Walter Isaacson's uh, um, biography of Elon Musk that I'm reading right now that said these are the four people who said that. Uh, but I did read his uh, Steve Jobs. And, you know, I, I think that we've got exposed enough to those people to know that you wouldn't put it past them. But you can tell them, you can tell, cannot tell me that these are bad leaders. Because look at the companies that they build. So what is the problem here? What is your definition of a good leader? I mean, th this is where they brought their companies. So why is that? Here's the problem that we have. Some people are smarter than others. Sometimes it's because they're willing to take more risk and, and therefore they learn more. Sometimes it's because I don't know what. But And you know what? Some people are just smarter than others. I know, I know, this is not politically correct to say every person is smart, every person is a leader, every person is... Some people are smarter than others. Just go take an IQ test. Not everybody gets the same uh, result. Here's the problem. We don't listen to the smartest people in the room if they don't have the authority to force us to do what they believe. Every one of those leaders, whether it's Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, and Steve Jobs, did things, suggested things, were willing to take risks. They said we're going to be successful. By the way, they failed many times, but they were successful eventually, and they were successful many times. And everybody around them said, oh, this is a reality distortion field that they're in. Well, maybe it is a reality distortion field, but guess what? They were successful in distorting reality to make a new reality. Yes, their passion and their obsession helped convince their people. You know, there is a statement that we say that, you know, here's another pet peeve of mine. We say, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? That's bull. This is where we are today. We're thinking that it's who you know. It's all relationships. No, I'm sorry. We minimize the value of knowledge. We minimize the value of intelligence. It's all about getting, getting along with people. It's not all about getting along with people. I fought this my entire professional career. I had ideas and people just shut them down. And the only, the only way for me to actually get them to do that would have been to be to, for me to be the CEO and actually have the authority to tell them to do it. Don't even want to start giving you a long list of the things that I've, that I've done. By the way, the whole USB 3 story, nobody would listen to me. Nobody would listen to me that there's going to be a USB 3. And I had to steal, borrow, beg for resources. Eventually, we did do USB 3. USB 3 became very, very successful. But I was never the favorite. I'm pretty sure that if I went back to Texas Instruments, there are only going to be a few people who would actually acknowledge that I was fighting upstream. Nobody would listen. Nobody wanted to do anything. I didn't have the authority. So the paradox we have here is that you have to be a leader with authority, which really is a manager. If you're the smartest person in the room, but if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're going to micromanage all the others. You're going to force them. It doesn't make you a good leader. So the problem that we have here is that we refuse to acknowledge that some people are smarter than us and listen to them when they don't have the authority. It's because we focus on it's not what you know, it's who you know. I want to touch on one more thing before, before I summarize everything and, and suggest what we can do. If you went up to leadership just to find that you're not a good leader or not a good manager, there is no way back. 
There is a social stigma associated with the motion. What I did when I walked into my boss's office and said, I don't want to be the general manager anymore. I don't want to be a vice president. I don't want to be a senior vice president. I don't want to be the CEO. I don't want to be the general manager anymore. I want to be an individual contributor. That is very, very, very rare. People don't do that because there is a social stigma associated with it. And by the way, Everything else, you know, why did you do that? Did you do that for the money? Well, so money is going to go down. Maybe not immediately, but over time, since I'm now a lower job grade in the company, then I'm not going to get salary bonuses and bumps and, and all. I'm not going to get raises anymore. There's a social stigma associated with the motion. In many cases, the demotion is not even my choice. It's the company decided to, to demote me, which, you know, is another problem because now the social stigma is even worse that the company said, you're not going to be a leader anymore. I would rather leave than be demoted. That, that's how we think. That this, this is the, a result of our obsession with leadership. If you're demoting me, if you're lowering me hierarchically in the organization, I would rather leave. Frankly, most likely the company would fire me rather than demote me because they understand the social stigma associated with that. So one of the problems with our obsession with leadership is that that obsession makes it that there is no way back. I mean, why is it a bad thing that Maybe I thought I would be a good leader. Maybe I took all of the uh, the necessary training. Maybe I understand that this is a profession and not a promotion. Maybe I'm, I understand that this is a full-time job and I'm taking it and to realize that I'm not good at it. Why would it be a big deal to go back and say, well, I'm not good at that. Let me go back to be an individual contributor. Or maybe I find that I don't enjoy it. I want to be back an individual contributor. This is what I did. I don't regret it. But because of our obsession, people will not do that. You got promoted, there's no way back. Okay, it's time to put a cap on it and wrap it up. First of all, we are obsessed with leadership. And we use the words leadership and management interchangeably, even though those are supposedly two different words. They are different words and they have different meanings. But we say leader and we mean manager with authority. There are costs. You lose great individual contributors. You might gain bad leaders and now lose other good employees. There are more. You know, I, I may not be satisfied as a leader and there is no going back. It can create internal competition of people wanting to get promoted. Internal competition, by the way, the, using the symmetry component of my relative trust model would hurt trust within the team. But I promise I'll talk about how we change it. So how do we change it? First of all, is we have to start treating leadership and management as an occupation, as a profession, and not a promotion. Leadership is a profession, not a promotion. The best salesperson is not a leader. You have to be a leader to be a leader. If you take a leadership slash management position, you cannot be the best individual contributor. Not anymore. You have to do some personality assessments, whether they're, they're self, whether they're formal assessments, and you have to have high trustfulness to become a good leader. If you don't have high trustfulness, you're not damaged, but you will not make a good leader. You need to want to be a leader. You need to get training but again, remember, this is a full-time job. This is not a part-time job. You can't be a leader and an individual contributor at the same time. It's either or. And if you prefer to be an individual contributor, stay individual contributor. Another way we can fight it is by eliminating the extrinsic motivation that relates to status. And that's money, power, some of the other things. Don't be a leader because you're extrinsically motivated. Maybe we should reduce the pay gaps. I know, I know, I'm naive. Pay should really be related to the level of contribution and not to a hierarchical status, not to a job grade. It's a level of contribution. Or there, there are 
job grades, parallel job grades on an individual contributor uh, scale and, and on a leadership scale, because those are different professions. And by the way, some companies do have that. Texas Instruments, for example, has something that's called the technical letter. You can go up there based on your technical skills and abilities, intelligence, know it, know, knowledge. It's nowhere near the scales that leaders or managers go. Next is we have to value individual contributor. We have to allow influence that's not based on status. We have to be willing to listen to people who are very good individual contributor, even if they don't have authority over us. We have to value them based on their individual contribution. And finally, we have to stop the obsession over the word leadership. Being a leader or not being a leader should not define your worth. The company should not define your worth based on whether you're a leader or not. That's it for today. May trust be with you. This was The Trust Show. What would you like to know about trust and trustworthiness? Let me know and I'll answer it in a future episode. I would love to hear from you. Email me at yoram at thetrustshow.com. If you like this episode, subscribe to the show so you will automatically get notified when I release a new episode. Rate it. Write a review for this podcast because those ratings help not only you, but also others looking for podcasts just like this. If you're looking for more resources to learn about how to build trust, be trusted, or know who to trust, look up my workshops, online courses, books, or go to my website, trusthabits.com. And remember that the answer to these two questions will have the biggest impact on your personal and professional success or failure. Can I trust you? And can you trust me? Thank you for listening or watching The Trust Show.